gentlemen it is still army week as we record this it is december 7th 2023 uh we are a mere two days from the big army game i am john schofield the host of the sing second podcast joining me the co-host and producer is chris cervello from the great class of 1999 on today's pod we are really excited to be joined by the ceo of the uss constitution bj farrell she's a member of the great class of 04 we're also going to be joined by Ryland Tui, uh, he of Spirit Spot fame and, uh, and the Naptown Funk video. He's going to talk to us a little bit about what he's doing in life now and his recollections of the Spirit Spot uh, craze that took place about 10 years ago. And then finally, our alumni business feature this week will feature class of 11 grad and noted painter and artist Kristen Kronick. So, Chris, let's get down to it. You and, our, you and I are already in, in mid-season form here this morning. It's an early morning pod record, so Gotta go. you know, not a chance for Army a liquid week. lunch. Yeah, it's <laughs> Army Week, you know. I need to get into the right frame of mind. That's I right. know that I'm going to watch my son uh, play basketball today and then get on a plane and head up to Boston, and, and then it's on. And we're going to go into a little bit more of what the Alumni Association and Foundation has planned. But so far this week... The ball has been run. They have started their 450-some mile uh, trek uh, running through, um, you know, one, two, three, four, I guess that's six, seven states. Uh, Is this to the get longest to run? It's the longest run in history. So wow. they never made the run to, like, Pasadena to yeah. watch Bill Byrne throw four interceptions uh, <laughs> in the Rose Bowl. Um, I only say that because I know that Admiral Byrne listens to the pod. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is the longest ball run in history. So, Chris, yeah. I have to ask you, I did the ball did run not. back when I I'll was I'll stop in you right shape. now. I did not. I, I did not, <laughs> nor was I the least bit interested in running the ball. <laughs> run the dang ball. No, I did not. Run the dang ball. <laughs> um, yeah, hats off to 13th Company. Um, they they started the ball run and you know, as of right now, I know that yesterday we got a picture of them somewhere around like Springfield, PA. Uh, so, yeah, they're probably, you know, huffing it through like Jersey or New York right now, uh, ready to make that, you know, that awesome right turn to go through Connecticut. If any of you have made that drive up to uh, up to Boston on the 95, um, the worst part of that trip, as everyone knows, is Connecticut. So, Chris. I know that in the spirit of Army Week, it is really cold down in Florida. It's in the high 50s, which I know is like the beginning of Get Shorty in Miami, like when everyone's like freaking out because it's cold. Um, I know that you're not going to the game. So detail us a little bit of how you're uh, dealing with the cold weather and what you plan to do to watch the uh, the big game on Saturday. And finally, we're going to lead strong here. We're going to bring back Jimmy the Greek Cervello and get your yeah. uh, get your evaluation of the line and how we're going to do. Yeah, it is cold. John woke up. It was in the 40s this morning, uh, which is brutally cold for Florida. But I mean, it's, you know, as we tape, it's 944. I think it's probably in the upper 50s. We'll get into the mid 60s today. The good news is temperature at game time in Palm Coast on Saturday will be a balmy 77. So we're back to oh. somewhat normal. Uh, my plan for Saturday, uh, play golf, um, take a little nap. 
uh, and then uh, show up uh, around 2.30 for our uh, Army-Navy watch party at the resort here at Hammock Beach. And, uh, you know, we'll have, I don't know, 35 or 40 invited guests. And then we're opening it up to kind of resort guests that they can watch uh, the Army-Navy game with us. And so uh, really looking forward to that. All right. Well, um, I'll tell you what, I'll get into a little bit of our SOE. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you what we're doing on Friday, ladies and gentlemen. If you're making the trip up um, to Boston today or tomorrow, um, let me tell you what we have in store. Number one, at 10 a.m. Um, on Friday, MAG, while everyone else is like sleeping it off, MAG continues to do what MAG does. The Midshipman Action Group is going to be at the Boston Rescue Mission uh, in Boston at 10 a.m. to drop off blankets uh, to that homeless shelter. You know, every single Army-Navy game, yes, you know, we talk about uh, the ball run and the pep rallies and the game itself, but after, for every single Army-Navy game, the Midshipman Action Group finds something to do um, to give back to the city in which the game is being played. And so uh, hats off to MAG for the blanket donation. I know I'm excited to be there to watch that. Uh, at around 11 a.m. on Friday, and who knows when this pod is out, you might be listening to it right now, and it's 11 a.m. Uh, where you are, but we are releasing our Alumni Association and Foundation Spirit Spot. Um, yours yeah. truly has, I, I like to call it a tour de force role in, in yeah. this spot, Chris. Like, this is like early Bradley Cooper, like kind of unrefined, you know, almost eight millimeter like. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to get, we're going to get rough and tumble with this, uh, with this spirit spot, but we're excited. We think it's a great spirit spot. Hopefully Ryland Tui approves the joint pep rally is at Faneuil hall at noon, ladies and gentlemen. And then at one 30, this is the one I'm really excited to tell everyone about. Um, you know, if you're Rob Hubert or Andy Quorum or Brad Snodgrass or any of the old CNAV alums, you will remember fondly during YP cruise. Um, all of us lieutenants descending upon a little pub called the Bell and Hand Tavern in Boston. Um, usually that's where most of our sit reps occurred, but we are really <laughs> excited to have an alumni meetup at the Bell and Hand pub uh, at 1.30 p.m. Uh, it's right there on Union Street in Boston, kind of near uh, City Hall. Uh, we're going to have Eric Catani there. All right. So yes. get ready to talk football with EK wow. Joe Cardona of the Patriots will hopefully be there. Uh, Joe, as many of you know, if you follow the NFLs, is playing the Pittsburgh Steelers tonight as a member of the New England Patriots. So when they're uh, when they're done playing the uh, the Steelers, he'll be back in Boston and joining us. Hopefully, we can get friend of the pod Ashley Pelzik out to the Bell in Hand. I know Pels listens to the to the pod, so Pels, you know, get that newborn wrapped up and come right. out to the Bell in Hand. And then the former DON Principal Cyber Advisor, Chris Cleary, is going to join us as well. So really pumped about that. And then from there, we're going out to the USS Constitution at 3 p.m., uh, where B.J. Farrell, the first ever female skipper of the USS Constitution, is hosting us. So big day on Friday. Um, you know, we'll get into what is going on Saturday in the out, but Chris, we are we are tons excited about uh, getting up there. And and I mentioned to Eric Catani uh, before we get into our interviews. You know, let me get right to your evaluation of what EK and Keenan have been talking about, and and what the line is right now, and what your prediction is. So the line is three in Army's favor. So Navy is a three point dog. So if you take Navy, uh, you should get three points. Uh, and the over-under is 27 and a half. I was just checking it this morning because uh, I am waiting. I, 
Although on the over and under, I would get that bet in early because there's talk that it could even go uh, down further. And I think if you're if you're like me, I think the under will hit if Navy wins. Yeah. So it's sort of the weird, like if you believe that Navy wins, I think you take the under. If you think Army's going to win, I think you, you take the over. Um, and we talk a little bit about that on the Navy football podcast, which either is out or should be out very soon. Uh, we, we taped that last night. Um, and we were joined by my, my classmate and, uh, you know, phenomenal analyst, uh, Mike James, um, who, uh, along with Keenan and EK, uh, you know, went through the X's and O's of what they expect. But the, the big takeaway is, is, I mean, if Navy's offense shows up um, and the defense plays the way they've been playing, you know, save for SMU, I, I think we win. But it's the offense that's the big question. So if you get the offense that played in the second half of the UAB game with um, Xavier Arline looking like the Xavier Arline that we expected to see two years ago, uh, running variants of a, of a triple option, both running and throwing the ball, I think we do very well against Army. If they try to play quarterback carousel, either with Ty and, and X or you know put the freshman in, uh, and you see, you know, bits and pieces of some of the first halves that we played, certainly the whole game that we played against SMU. If you get that offense, I think we lose. Um, and I think our star punter punts the ball like a hundred times. Um, so, you know, I think you're going to be able to tell based upon, um, number of turnovers, uh, and number of punts. If our number of punts are low and our turnovers are high, uh, i.e., you know, more than one two-ish I think we win yeah I for one am excited and and Chris I, I talked about it on the earlier pod this week you know I'm I'm going to be a little bit directionless like you know a little lost fawn without my without my uh teammate um you know there in Boston but I, I'll figure I'll figure out a way but it it almost seems like 10 years ago you know when Xavier Arline ran the first play uh from scrimmage in the Army Navy game limped off hurt tie comes in we win that game. Um, it, it, it seems like so long ago. Um, but now what, what I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm informed by the passage of time, uh, I suppose. And now it, 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 I almost feel like Ty Lavatai and the life of this podcast have been, you know, one and the same. Um, and I know that we've talked at length about, you know, how much we, you know, we love friend of the pod, Gina Lavatai. Um, you know, and, and the rest of this senior class, I, I'm just so excited to watch them go out and hopefully go out with a win. Um, and more excited to, you know, really put our stamp on, you know, on a game that might never come back to the stadium. Um, you know, so the, the opportunity to do something historic, uh, is really special for me. And I, and I really want to tip my cap to all the seniors, Ty, Xavier, uh, the captains, you know, I know that there have been a lot of injuries with this senior class with Mertesi and Busick, um, but they're all going to go out um, as winners, hopefully, in my book. So, you know, let's root for that. We'll talk a little bit about what's going to go on on Saturday after our interviews. But, Chris, I'll give you the last word before we go to break. John, I think it's going to be an ugly game. Our listeners get 
what an army navy game is um they get that it's going to be a slugfest um I, I have been telling people around here that are interested in watching it that maybe you know are thinking about the army navy game of 10 or 15 years ago when you know we moved the ball quite a bit um i i, I think it's going to be an ugly game i think it's going to be low scoring as i said um you know take the under i'm guessing uh, you know 17 10 navy um, but I think it's going to be an electric atmosphere, 53 degrees, which is, you know, like on a Florida scale, that's like a 90 degree day in, uh, in, in Boston in December, uh, Belichick is talking to the team Friday night for their meal. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him on the sideline or at the stadium. I mean, like you're going to have all the intangibles line up in Navy's favor, if we don't win, it's because we just didn't bring everything that we have. Um, so uh, I, I'm starting to get excited. I, ju I join you in that excitement. So let's get to a little preview, um, you know, of what it's going to be like up in Boston and hear a little bit more about the USS Constitution from B.J. Farrell. Here's our interview with the class of 04's B.J. Farrell, the first ever female commanding officer of the USS Constitution. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the Sing Second Podcast. Um, I know that all of you are listening because we are bringing you the best interviews with the most interesting grads out there from all walks of life, from entrepreneurship to government service to those still in the Navy. And uh, we are really happy to be joined by a grad who was very intimately involved with this, as I like to call the first in class ship construction of holding an Army Navy game in Boston. She graduated in the great class of 2004, uh, a political science major like myself, uh, born in Paducah, Kentucky, now residing in Boston, Massachusetts. We are so happy to be joined by the CEO of USS Constitution, BJ Farrell. BJ, thank you so much for joining the podcast. And I guess really quick, kind of sum everybody up with uh, with what's going on in your hometown here uh, you know, this week for the Army game. Yeah, so everybody in Boston is buzzing about the game. It's kind of all the talk around here. And so everything's really starting to ramp up for the what's happening over the course of the next week. Uh, for us, it actually kicks off this Saturday. So we have the, the city of Boston's hosting the annual Army-Navy flag football game. So that's going to be crew members from Constitution and the future USS Massachusetts taking on local Army units. So we really start uh, setting that tone here and then really gearing up next week for all the things. So here at the ship, the Patriot Games are going to end at the ship on Friday. Um, so the, the cadets and the midshipmen are actually going to end up here to do a gun drill against each other, 1812 style with the cannons. Uh, whoever wins will actually get to fire one of those guns. And then we've got our big annual tree lighting on the ship that night for anybody that's going to be in town and looking for something to do. And then ready for game day and all the things that go with that on Saturday. But uh, it is definitely a buzz for, for things and going on in the city. Well, it's this is an audio medium, so the, the audience cannot see what I see, which is, you know, Commander Farrell coming to us from uh, the stateroom. Uh, so while you're in the uh, while you're in the Type Three uh, camis, behind you is your USS Constitution ceremonial commanding officer uniform. So the last time you you joined us, it was the Sing Second Sports Podcast several years ago. You had just taken command. You know, for for the grads out there, what has your command tour been like? What's it like to be a part, uh, not a part, leading Old Ironsides? 
It's been phenomenal. The past two years have been such a unique experience and a great way to interact with the public and share the story of the Navy. Um, you know, the command at CPEN that, that I'm privileged to wear every day has six stars across the top of it. One of those stars is for USS Constitution is one of the original six frigates. And so to, to be here and to carry on that legacy and, and be a steward of the Navy um, and to represent the public to about 600,000 visitors a year, that's what we get here. And to share that, not just the history, but to represent the Navy of today, Constitution was built for freedom of the seas, open shipping lanes, and anti-piracy. Still missions we do across the Navy today, so the technology has changed, but the mission necessarily hasn't. And so to connect the dots for people has been definitely very special here um, and a, a really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Well, you and I first came across each other. Yeah, you were at ProDev at, at the Academy when I was the PAO. Um, and and before then, you know, through your your SWO, uh, DIVO, and department head tours. But then after that, you know, at at uh, Surfor um, is the EXO on Vicksburg, and now in your command score, what have you taken from your Naval Academy experience in terms of leadership and problem solving? You know, we all say that one third of the officer corps comes from OCS, the other third, like myself, from ROTC and then the other third from the Naval Academy. But I've always said, even as an ROTC graduate, that, that Naval Academy graduates have a special sauce in leadership. How have you applied that you know, over the totality of an incredible career now, you know, not ending, but currently with your command tour? So I, I really think it goes all the way back to, to plebe summer and plebe year. And it starts with even just the most basic of things like having to greet every upperclassman, you know, and by name if they're in your company, but just the basics of understanding that, you know, if you come in, in contact with someone that is a person, that is a human being, um, they deserve to be acknowledged. And so, you know, really just setting a strong foundation of kind of a dignity and respect lane. Um, I think prioritizing was something I probably learned really early at the Naval Academy, because again, you're not getting it all done. In, the, in necessarily the same day. And so understanding what the most important thing is that has to get done um, and then communicating that to other people so that they understand that as well. And so I think that has been a, a continuous learning process over the course of my career. And uh, I tell people a lot of times I'm not the same leader I was, you know, in 2004 when I graduated. And fortunately enough here, we get the chief selects every year that come in and I get to spend an hour, about an hour with them talking about kind of leadership and what it's going to mean. Um, and we have that exact same discussion that like your leadership style is going to change and you're going to take all those successes and failures, probably more so the failures uh, and make yourself into a better person and a better leader because of it. It's incredible advice. Let's, let's uh, go ahead and quick pivot. You mentioned your class year, 2004, this being army week. I know that not all of your memories from football seasons while you were a student were pleasant. Uh, what is your best Army Navy memory, uh, you know, from your four years on the banks of the summer? Yeah, so for me, it actually, I was a swimmer as well. And so uh, the Army Navy swim meet is also the same week as the football game. So usually the Thursday before. So um, I remember my, my plebe year going into that meet uh, just pumped and I swam some of my best times and we we came out on top. It was the... 12th year that we had beat army consecutively and this year the women's swim team is actually going for their 35th consecutive victory so it's it's that that by far has to be you know my personal favorite army navy uh, but otherwise it's just the game itself it's just a special game that carries a different 
uh, sense of pride and, and rivalry and all the, the pomp and circumstance and things that go into it. And so, and I think that's why there's so much kind of buzz around Boston as people have heard about the game and, and it's just a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to go experience it firsthand and to be there. Cause that in itself is just such a special thing to do. Well, I'll make a plug for Coach Robertson in AAA and, and the swim program that uh, December 7th, ladies and gentlemen, Thursday, listen for the sweet dulcet tones of Rowdy Gaines calling the best rivalry swim meet going. And I know that the women are going to keep that streak going until probably year 50 or beyond. Uh, you know, let's, let's certainly hope so. So, BJ, before I let you go, you know, you are, you know, in addition to everything else you're balancing here, now a Boston resident. And I, I said that the uh, the game up there is kind of like a first-in-class ship construction. So, you know, from, from grad to other grads, what's your intel report for your fellow grads out there about traveling to Boston? Number one, what's your travel recommendation? Number two, what's the best pub in Boston? And then three, what is what is your travel intel for getting to foxborough and out in one piece yeah so i think in general just the best advice because i know a lot of people are kind of spread out staying in different places some people in boston some people in rhode island it just depends and so i think um army navy has actually put out a lot of resources on helping people understand that but i think the gist of it is uh understand that Foxborough is not in an urban area. It's out in a small, quaint New England town uh, that takes some planning and some time to get to. So do not uh, let that catch catch you off guard because it will take some time. Um, and so definitely, um, and it's kind of the same thing for pub. It just depends where you are. Uh, we're so spread out and all the things. I live in Charlestown here next to the ship. So I spend most of my time here. Um, so just, there, there are so many good places to go. Um, I would say just anywhere you go, people are going to be excited to have you here. Well, you know, I brought up the name Commander Farrell before, you know, that's a name from my favorite Navy movie, uh, No Way Out, but as a Charleston, Charlestown resident, you, you had to have seen the town, right? Have you, have you watched the town? What's your grade for the town in terms of like Boston movies? The town is solid. We I, we like watching it now because now it's all you know things in the neighborhood that we walk by every day. It's <laughs> uh, you know the barber shop where where the family goes to get haircuts and things like that. And so now it's not just the town; it's actually our lives. <laughs> so um, and it's always funny to kind of see those things in that perspective now. Uh, well, I'm putting this whole place in my rear view. Um, Commander Farrell, I'll tell you what, it, it's it's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for the Intel report on uh, being up in Boston and Foxborough. We can't wait to uh, see you. And, and for everyone's FYI, um, Friday before the Army-Navy game, we're going to go down as an alumni association, see Commander Farrell, watch them do colors, you know, fire off the cannon. And if you've never seen the USS Constitution, please do yourself a favor and check that out. You can prepare for that amazing event by coming to our impromptu uh, get-together for the alumni at the Bell and Hand Pub, a place where Commander Schofield or Lieutenant Schofield back in the day on YPs used to frequent a ton, probably too much. But join us for a pint at the Bell and Hand and then swing on down and see old Ironsides. Thank you so much, Commander Farrell, for what you do um, and for being a great alum. And Beat Army. Beat Army indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go to break. So stick with us. We'll be right back. 
Okay, welcome back to the Sing Second Podcast. John Schofield here with Kristen Chronic. This is our alumni business series, and I am so happy to be joined by Kristen to discuss her business, her talent. But first of all, Kristen, always great to talk to an amazing SWO. Um, not only graduates, but SWOs are the best graduates. So can you introduce the, the pod audience to you know, who you are and who you were as a midshipman and your career up to this date? Oh, awesome. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Kristen Kronick. I am class of 2011. I was a surface warfare officer for six years. I was a pretty average Jane midshipman. <laughs> and since 2018, I have been painting and creating art based off the USNA experience with the hopes of celebrating connection in this shared story. Um, if anyone could hear that sound, it was uh, Kristen absolutely underselling herself. So the painting, quote unquote, and I know it's an audio medium, but I'm using air quotes. You know, the, the, the talent that's here artistically is so amazing. And these are paintings that are hanging in SecNav's office in the Pentagon, ladies and gentlemen. So it's not just <laughs> a side hustle. You know, talk to me about the origins of this. Like, were you artistic as a mid? Did you grow up in an artistic environment? Like, how, how did this flower start to bloom? Oh, I love that. Um, I have always loved art. And when I was in high school, it was a decision between the military and art school. And I, I definitely felt I couldn't say no to the military. That was now or never. But I never lost the desire to paint. The longer I was away from it, the more I craved it. And so I always found a way to do it in the margins of USNA life, of uh, active duty life as well. And um, I, as a plebe, I had, well, actually, before I was here, I had discovered photographs by Pete Souza of Plebe Summer. Yeah. And they had really helped me. I didn't have a lot of military background in my family, and they were so raw and honest. They helped me prepare. And so as a plebe, um, I would see a lot of these moments that I was like, these need to be paintings. They're beautiful. And I, I vowed that I would one day go back to tell this story. Um, so I, I didn't exactly have the skills to do so early on, and so I ended up learning with a more intent focus on how to convey these, these, these ideas into paintings um, pretty intentionally for about six years before I actually started. And um, I wanted to create them in an impressionist style because I felt like this had a lot more opportunity for emotion, which I feel like this, this particular journey has a lot of that. And so. In 2018, I finally had, I was out of the Navy at that point, I had some more space, and I was like, it's now or never, I have to do this. And so that was when I made the first painting that is now Easel on Stribbling. There's about probably 175 paintings total right now. Hopefully wow. more are coming, they are coming, um, that are talking about these moments of transformation and of journey and of these moments that can connect such a broad range of graduates from many different backgrounds and generations that we can all unite over these shared experiences and there's so much potential for empathy and connection in that that i can't keep can't stop coming back to keep keep painting them well that's what makes you such a great alumnus of this great institution as someone who also started a business during covid um or right before covid right before, yeah. you know, which is which is what you did <laughs> You know, mm. how did that affect your ability to to keep on keeping on? Mm. Like the, the very yeah. foundation of this interview, you know, is to talk about how you succeeded, you know, in running your own business and, and succeeded amidst, 
you know, all of the pitfalls that are out there for small business owners and, and young business owners. So how did COVID affect your momentum and, and what yeah. advice would you have for people who are starting a business? You know, certainly we hope that there isn't another COVID on the horizon, but, you know, as you started <laughs> yeah. your business and then nurtured it through a pandemic, how did that affect you? Oh, that's such a good question. And I haven't gone here much in a public way. So thank you for asking. Um, when I first started, I had the ultimate goal of putting them into a book. And so there was, I had a plan from the beginning of different series that would take me as long as they took me. Um, it ended up being about four or five years. And the pandemic happened right in the middle of that. And the I had already planned on painting about what happens in the spring. And it was during spring. And I, that was... There's many points in this process I've almost quit, but that was one in particular where I, I was really close to stopping because it was when the midshipmen didn't come back after spring break and the world was like, closing. And okay. I, I had this moment, I'm like, how could I possibly like paint this while it's not happening? And you know, it was like, especially the class of 2020, there was these moments that they have pined for and for years and they weren't happening. And I was like, I, I can't do this. Like this is, this is, cruel of me to do. And I, I sat with that for about a day and then I woke up and I was like, at any time to do it, it's now. Um, and I realized, that was when I started to really realize that my perspective as an artist is rooted in empathy. And so I'm still gonna paint these moments, I still need to keep going, but the way I talked about them changed. And it was, it was more of a way, a way to connect. I'm like, hey, I know this isn't what's happening. And I was like, and this isn't right, but like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm sorry that this, you're at the finish line, you're not crossing and I can't imagine. And then here's the work. And um, it resonated with people and, and thankfully it was received and people were like, oh my gosh, like I, I like, thank you for making it. Um, and so that gave me the kind of the gumption to keep going. Um, and that's also around that time I had, I mean, I haven't made them since because it was a pretty arduous process, but painting for me has been such a therapeutic process. It's, it's something that is calming and in the midst of a pandemic, there's a lot of stress. And so I had the idea to make a paint kit and do paint nights that are via Zoom. And those were amazing. And I got to actually paint like via Zoom with, oh man, we probably did six or seven of them. One of them was with 200 midshipmen in Bancroft Hall, where I mailed them kits and we did it together. Um, and that was probably one of my favorite things I've ever done. Um, again, it was logistically very challenging to fill like 2,000 tiny pots with paint and I got blisters on my thumbs when I did it, but it was worth it. Um, and so that's when I realized I'm like, art can be a lot of things. So this easel on Stribling is my paintings, but it's also, things like that. It's also ways to connect with one another. I've started to make greeting cards and things, anything that will celebrate connection is kind of where I'm, I'm like at with how I make products. So that's kind of where it's at now. And I have ideas for the future. <laughs> how do any of these challenges compare to say, standing the midwatch on USS Winston Churchill? <laughs> oh my gosh, actually you had asked like, what's your advice? How did that impact it? That too. I, I thought a lot about the dog days of deployment and I maybe that's that's how it relates to business. It's like grads are resilient and, and so much of it is you just keep showing up. It keeps showing up every day, a little bit at a time. You will eventually get qualified for all the swoes out there. It will happen, I promise. <laughs> um, you know, you, it's it, it just like one small thing a day and that's just keep going, keep showing up and eventually 
it'll it'll be okay. <laughs> we talked in our other interview on this uh, podcast is Ryland Tui, um, you know, oh, he of uh, Spirit Spot fame. But we had asked him <laughs> about who some of his inspirations were in Hollywood as he's now breaking in. That's amazing. Know, with with ah. writing and directing. Who are some of your influences as you came of age as an artist? Yeah, oh who do gosh. you draw on to give you that kind of artistic inspiration you need? Oh my goodness, there are way too many to count, to be honest. I, I ended up going back for my MFA and there was like hundreds of artists that you know, I really unpacked, but I'm thinking back to maybe at the very beginning what that looked like. I. It, it sounds trite and I no longer am ashamed of it because I feel like it's not as sophisticated, but I've always loved the impressionist. And I was yeah. like, you know what, we're just gonna lean into that because I do truly love it. Um, I had learned to paint from a local artist in Jacksonville. His name is Paul Ladnier and he dedicated so much time one-on-one -on -one with me to kind of help me get over the hump and learn how to develop this language. And he introduced me to some classical painters that had really inspired me, and they still do. John Singer Sargent's one of my all-time favorites. Um, but there's some modern artists that at the time did as well. Once Carol Marine, David Shavlino have been really helpful when I was first learning. But truly since then, I mean, it's a never-ending journey. I think art is, I mean, art, paintings especially are made in isolation, but they're not created that way. Like, they're all informed by this vast array of creativity that the world has to offer. And so, I mean, at any given, whoever I'm looking at at the time, you'll see bits of them that show up in paintings as I try new things. So, um, yeah, at, at the moment, I'm really loving an artist called Peggy Curl Roberts. There's um, Catherine Kehoe has been my, one of my favorites right now. Susan Lichtman, they're all living artists. So yeah. that's really fun to see, like, them continue on. Um, but I can give you a list of maybe 500 others well, <laughs> for different reasons. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, the, the, you know, the influence um, is evident in the talent. And as we sit here, if you come by the Flugel Alumni Center and, and come into the wine room um, in the Alumni Lounge, uh, it, it, it's just an incredibly, incredibly moving display. Um, and, and I encourage everyone as you come by the Flugel Alumni Center to check those out. However, um, how can people find your work? How can people find, you know, all of these amazing paintings? You know, yeah. I assume that you sell these online or the, mm -hmm. maybe you have a gallery in Jacksonville. Here's your opportunity to, <laughs> to sell your product and inform the audience about where they can find it. Oh, I, I, this is the part that I always struggle with. Um, I, I do have work in just ex ex exhibits. I have paintings in the permanent collection at USA Museum. Also currently work with the Pentagon, um, right outside the SecNav's office, which is pretty cool. Um, I do have a lot of prints and some originals online at easelonstribbling.com. So stribbling as in stribbling walk. Yeah. Um, I'm in a few shops around town. And then also the cumulative project of these paintings was a coffee table book. That was published in June, and so that has pretty much all of them with prose that speaks to this experience. And so if there was one thing that was exciting you, like I would recommend probably the book. That way you can hold it and look at all the paintings and read all about it too. And that also can be found on my website, or it has its own website called a midshipmansjourney.com. And we'll be pushing both of those websites <laughs> out on our social media as we push this pod out. Uh, lastly, for you, Kristen, you're also a Naval Academy spouse. You know, your mm -hmm. husband Caleb yeah. is a grad, 
and you guys for Army Navy and just do this very small watch party down in Jacksonville. <laughs> it's like not a lot of people there at all. Kind of a small venue. You know, get, give everyone a little appetizer if they're ever in Jacksonville oh. for future Army Navy games. What that watch party is like? It's so fun. Um, every year the watch party happens at the Jags Stadium, and they open up kind of the club, and sometimes they put it on the big screen. There's usually a flyover. Um, it's a fun thing. So if you're in Jacksonville for the game, you should come on by. All right, everyone. Kristen Chronic. The website is easelonstribbling.com. Class of 11, a grad of character and consequence, and we're so happy that she joined us today. Kristen, I have one final question for you. What's the best phrase to utter during Army Week? <laughs> Go Navy, beat Army. <laughs> Go Navy, beat Army, indeed. We're out. Great interview with Kristen Kronick. And again, ladies and gentlemen, please reach out to us on social media. Um, hit me up at my alumni association uh, email. Hit us up on LinkedIn. If you have a business, if you're a grad and want to get your business spotlighted on this podcast, we are all about that. That's what we're in the business of doing is highlighting your business. So please hit us up and let us know what your business is and we'll have you on a future episode of the pod. All right, let's get to our Best interview of the year. No offense to all of our other guests, but Ryland Tui, um, you know, it goes back 10 years for me and Ryland. And, and if you love Ryland's podcast, I would encourage you as you listen to this, you know, get onto YouTube, check out his, uh, his YouTube channel, Ryland, R-Y-L-A-N, Tui, T-U-O-H-Y. Here's our interview with Ryland about Spirit Spots and what he's doing in Hollywood now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. This is not the town uh, podcast, but it is you know, talking a lot about movies today and who better to do that with than Ryland Tui. Uh, you might know him from such gems as Naptown Funk, my personal favorite, which I was just talking to one of the actors in. Uh, Isaac Phillips uh, was the one where all of the mids were in cages and Ryland was simulating a tour at West Point. Uh, but all of that aside, it is so great to have Ryland on the podcast. Uh, the Spirit Spots, which were for Air Force, Army, and just regular great videos, uh, played a huge, huge role um, in the morale of the mids. And, and Spirit Spots are a huge part of Army Week. So, so happy to be joined during Army Week by Ryland. Ryland, thank you for being on. And, and if you can, catch us up uh, with, with what you're up to because you're out of the Navy and you're kind of following your dream a little bit here. Yeah, hey John, this is becoming a, a tradition. I'm I'm fortunate you called me back. I thought you know after the last couple of years you'd be like, oh, no, he's old. So uh, we want somebody new. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, it's I'm nearing my two year out date from the Navy. I got out um, early 2022, and it's amazing how fast everything's flown by. I uh, am a commercial writer and director right now, and tiptoeing my um, feet into the waters of narrative television and features. I, I just received a Netflix grant for writing. And so a lot of exciting things as I kind of, you know, can move into my new career path, which it, I think for many people kind of recognize that when I was even a mid starting on that journey. But I'm so fortunate that I served and closed that chapter. And now I'm on to the next one. So do you see your writing style or at least your approach to this industry more like, you know, my favorite skit in SNL right now is the three dudes in the writer's room. Um, you know, do you see yourself writing more comedic uh, stuff, like much like your spirit spots were, or, or how are you trying to break in uh, in terms of your creative style? I think the biggest thing for me is recognizing what stories resonate with me. 
a comedy was a great way to do that when I was at the Naval Academy and subsequently, you know, in the Navy. I think that was an outlet for honestly <laughs> making fun of a, a lot of the absurdity that we experience in, in the service, you know, professionally and respectfully, of course. But, um, you know, being a veteran now, uh, being a tribal citizen of the Wyandotte Nation, which, you know, I present as white, but that is another characteristic. It, those stories, I think, are often underrepresented in the things that we see on television and movies. And so it's been really fun to write creative, um, what I would describe as dramedies. It's it's drama, but with grounded comedy that have characters within those worlds. Uh, because, I mean, how many times have you watched a show and you know that world and you say, oh, that's not how that happens. And so I, you know, I think my goal right now is just writing personal stories to me and hoping that uh, I can, you know, share those on the big screen. One of my favorite podcasts, other than my own, of course, as I you know, tear my rotator cuff, uh, patting myself on the back, is Smartless. And, and for me, the Smartless podcast, you know, is not just a window into hearing celebrities talk, particularly people in the uh, entertainment industry, but, but it, is, it is truly a look behind the curtain, you know, in terms of how a movie was made or, or you know, listening to, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, talk about getting into character for this, but then working with a certain director on that. Where have you found your inspiration, you know, in film or in TV? Is there a particular director? Is there a particular movie that, you know, that kind of sparked in you the, the idea of, of, of getting into the narrative game? I would say one of my greatest influences um, are really right now kind of two, two individuals. Uh, Roger Deakins is one. Uh, Roger Deakins is a cinematographer who is probably had a hand in every single movie that is ever on anyone's favorite list from Shawshank Redemption to No Country for Old Men to Blade Runner 2049 to Sicario. Um, the reason why he's so influential to me is just because of his visual style and, and his narrative um, approach to, you know, uh, composing a scene. Um, it's so grounded and it's the, it's for me, it's the equivalent of walking through a museum of, of paintings and being so moved by that. Right. It's the same feeling when I watch any of his movies. Um, and I know that's funny to be so influenced by someone who is just purely a visual storyteller. But I mean, when you, yeah. when you break, when you break our art form down, that is what we're doing, right? We're trying to show stories through scenes. And so um, he, he's very influential. And then also the, the director, Denis Villeneuve. Um, uh, what's funny is they're often paired together, Roger and Denis, but Denis it, he most notably is known for Blade Runner 2049, for Dune, the new Dune movies. Yeah. Um, but he has a couple movies called Prisoners and Sicario and... Uh, I, I, so many more that are for me. Prisoners is the one with Gyllenhaal, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, one of those. Yeah, yeah. that's a great. You movie. haven't seen it, and you're like, wow. So anyway, great, great. I could talk about them forever. <laughs> no, I mean this is this is why we're this is why we're here. We want to talk about it forever. So you know, where do you see yourself? I know, I know that you've always been a goal oriented person. Um, you know, you, you've kind of known what your what your path is going to be be for a while. And, and I remember when I first met you and I knew that we'd be having this conversation at this point in your life. You know, so what, what, what goals do you have right now? Because now you're, you're in the thick of it. Like, you know, a key part of a lot of 
screenplays or, you know, or, or really good stories about Hollywood doing good is that, you know, that person who has, you know, the, the, the cojones to move out to LA and get involved in the game. You know, so what, where are your goals from here? Right now, I would describe it as fishing with a net. Uh, I'm fortunate to, to not only have kind of the writing side, uh, but as I mentioned, I, I direct a lot of commercial stuff. My latest project uh, that I'm working on right now is for Apple TV Plus. Uh, Masters of the Air is a new show coming out with uh, Austin Butler, and um, that's coming out in January. And so we're doing some promotional work, some promotional branded work right now. Um, but long term, I think my goal within the next year or so I, I identify as a pre-WGA writer. Um, and as you are probably aware, the strikes this year have kind of crippled the industry. And now that they're back, uh, the, all the writers are back, the actors are back. It's very slow uh, start to the industry. And this is, of course, what I'm hearing from my mentors um, in, in Hollywood. But um, my goal would be kind of the first step is to be staffed on a TV show and um, with kind of the writing samples that I've pr produced through a couple of competitive writing programs I was fortunate to be a part of, that's kind of the first stepping stone. Um, but, you know, the path is so nonlinear. Um, and, and I have to keep that in mind as I kind of navigate it. So, you know, I'm hoping to be staffed, but at the same time, I'm working on some projects, some small short film projects that I hope could maybe get my foot in the door from kind of a film festival circuit and, and things. And, you know, I... Um, have this project that I'm working on for next year that I would think uh, that I'm hoping to really kind of a share with you all at the beginning of the spring, but rely on the amazing base that is the you know, Naval Academy family for figuring out how we can make this happen. Because as you all know, and John, you know this too, right? Everything comes down to financing and money. And I'm not saying that we need to uh, get rich, right? But it's just basic things require certain costs. You know, it's it's, um, it's kind of inevitable when we tackle projects. And when I was in mid and making these spear spots, right? So, so many people are, are saying, hey, uh, wow, you made that production value on that stuff. But what they don't see is all the sweat, blood and tears from having no money to make this. And so it was truly out of passion. And as I now navigate into this kind of new career path, right? The, it, it would be silly to kind of uh, try to tackle a project without that. And so what I'm hoping for is to, to kind of share the project with you all in a couple months and see if we can't rally some just small support to cover the bare costs to create something that I think will be really special for um, me, me because I, I've had this idea for a long time, but also truly important is for the community at large, for you know the Naval Academy, the fleet, and um, actually this goal has aspirations to go beyond just Navy too, so. Ooh, well, I, I can promise our listeners that we'll talk about that in the spring. Another reason for me to not leave Rylan alone. Well, one thing I know that Denny Villeneuve did not have was kind of the YouTube start uh, that you did. And, and something tells me that years and years down the line, people are going to be like, hey, you know, like, you know, this famous director, you know, writer, director, this famous, you know, artist, uh, which is how I've always referred to you. You know, have you ever seen his, you know, first stuff on YouTube and, and, you know, I look forward to that day that those things become even more and more viral. I know I've asked you this before, but amidst that library, what was your favorite production? You know, because for every Naptown Funk, um, for me, I thought your most impressive video, other than the one in the cages, because Potts' face is like the funniest face I've ever seen. But for me, it was always the Veterans Day one. 
you know, which was about as far away from the traditional comedy, um, you know, that you displayed. It, it is a tear invoking, incredible production that I remember Admiral Carter saying was one of the best things he'd ever seen. And that guy doesn't use hyperbole a lot. So, you know, looking back on, on your library so far, you know, what was the most fun to make and, and what are you the most proud of? I'll start with what I'm most proud of, and it's it's the Veterans Day piece. It was that came out of a an idea, and I remember coming into your office and saying I wanted to do something that says to those who serve, thank you. Um, but capturing slices, generations of people who serve and are serving, and telling their story, and I think that what came from a nature of like at the end of the day, I want to be a storyteller, and so I'm so proud that. A, I had the support and the connections to be able to get those those amazing individuals. I mean, Jack Slaughter, he, he was, he, ah. he, his name, he's like iconic. And, and you know, um, I was just so blessed and grateful to have him a part of that, along with everybody else too. So um, I think also, you know, the most fun one to make, um, I miss flip-flops from year to year, right? I will tell you the most hectic, crazy, but when I look back on just pure fun was probably, probably Star Wars, you know? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> those, those, I remember spending my Thanksgiving break back in Kentucky editing, just editing, 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 because I filmed the last shot before, um, I filmed the last shot with Andrew Potts on the Tuesday before the, uh, before we released for the Thanksgiving holiday. And I remember my parents getting so mad at me because I was home all the way in Kentucky and they're like, we haven't seen you for a minute. You've just been editing. And I was like, mom, dad, I need to get this finished. Um, and, you know, hectic time. The story about obviously getting the CNO to, to, that was the first shot that we got. And so as soon as I had that, I was like, well, I got to finish the video now. So, you know, the pressure was on. <laughs> I looked at it, back at it though, and it was just a ton of fun to make. And you know, I'll, I'll end with this. I am just so fortunate to be in a position where the videos that I made a decade ago are still relevant and still talked about. And I, 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 I'm humbled that that is still the case. And my goal is to keep telling stories and, and hopefully, you know, take everybody who's been with me from the start along that journey. We can't wait to go on that journey with you. As we go out, uh, I'll let you end by saying this. A lot of people might assume that you were like an English major, um, you know, at, at Navy, you know, and you talk about doing these things while broke and their passion projects, but a lot of aspiring filmmakers aren't carrying 22 credits, I think is a physics major, right? Weren't you a physics major? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it, that's obviously incredible that you possess the creative ability and writing ability as someone who's also majored in physics at one of the best institutions in the country. But how else did the Naval Academy prepare you for where you are today? You know, as a leader, as a problem solver, as a creator, you know, where, where did the Naval Academy fall in terms of, of formative, uh, as a formative institution for the success that hopefully you'll enjoy here in the future? I will say, I think the Naval Academy provided me the tools for truly for collaboration and for resourcefulness. Um, as you kind of mentioned, I think my time there, when I look back at it now, I am amazed by how efficient, um, fast, and quickly I navigated so many challenges. And I think it was because I was placed in this, you know, um, going back to your favorite video, this cage of a place that 
that pressurized us to, to operate and navigate quickly and efficiently. And I think that helped me figure out a lot of things that I had taken granted, uh, taken for granted with including just like, Oh, I have, I have so much time to do this, or I have so uh, much money to do this or, or what have it. And I think that I was able to become an efficient, um, and resourceful collaborator, A, because of the, you know, from academics perspective, working with others and figuring out that like me alone can't get through this process. Um, And then B, on the video side, bringing it back, I think I realized that like none of those videos would have ever been able to to have been made if it weren't for the amazing support of my friends, peers, leadership. And it was all because I realized, okay, I need to get from here to there how do I get it? What's the quickest way to do so? And what, what, who do I need to rely on? And how can I build those relationships? And I know that's a chaotic answer to your, to your question. I apologize for, for that. But what it boiled down to is it truly was this pressurized location of um, just like endless opportunities as long as I put myself out there and tried to figure out who can I help, who can I help and who can I get their help to navigate to their whatever goal I wanted. Um, and so I look back at, at that time um, and realized that it was like four years, which seems like it's forever, but it flew by it's so fast. And I, I now in my thirties, I'm trying to navigate back to figuring out how I can be as productive as I was there. And I probably will never be able to achieve that, but knowing that I can do that, I think is even more of a a motivating factor for me now as I navigate in this next path of my career. Uh, There's no way that could be said any better. So we're just going to end it right there. Rylan, amazing advice. We're so happy to go on this journey with you. We're so happy to call you an alumnus uh, of this great institution. And and we're looking forward to what's next. We'll see you in Boston. So, uh, so happy that you're part of this uh, Army Navy week. Uh, coverage and uh, and you know we'll see you back here soon. I can't wait to see you in Boston. And for anyone's listening, please come say hi. I uh, look forward to meeting everybody out there. Wear a jacket. <laughs> it's supposed to be like in the fifties, but I don't ever believe that with regard to Boston weather. So, Rylan Tui, thank you so much. We are going to go to break, so stick with us. We'll be right back. All right, Chris, we're back. Let's take this out. I promised everyone a little preview of what's going on on Saturday. Number one, if you have never been, ladies and gentlemen, to Foxborough Stadium, leave early. Um, It is like a sleepy little town. This isn't like the link on the outskirts of Philadelphia or M&T Bank Stadium just south of Camden Yards. This is not an easy place to get to, and it will take you a while. Um, So Saturday at 10 a.m., College Game Day starts in Foxborough. So if you want to see Lee Corso put the Navy goat hat on at the end um, as he makes his pick, please show up at around 10 a.m. And from 10 to 12, uh, you will hear from the College Game Day crew. Really excited to announce that the acting superintendent, Rear Admiral Fred Kacher, will be on College Game Day uh, interviewing about the rivalry and everything else going on in Boston. At 11 a.m., the Alumni Association and Foundation tailgates start. If you're at Bar Louie or Citizen Crust, uh, enjoy those tailgates. We'll be running around with our tiny microphone ready to interview you. So, you know, if you want a warm place to be, 
the Bar Louie and Citizen Cross tailgates were really a smart, smart move. But as Chris said, it's going to be like 53 degrees, which again is like a summer day in Boston. And then March on starts at 1210, flyovers kick off at three. And then if you're in Annapolis, ladies and gentlemen, from three to seven, we have our Annapolis watch party right here at the Flugel Alumni Center. Chris gave you his uh, interpretation. I will give you mine. Um, number one, this game is special to me for only one reason. Um, not only one reason, but the primary reason it's special to me is the end. And, and I come back to the etymology of the naming of this podcast, that the idea of standing arm in arm on the sidelines and singing your alma mater is what this pod is all about and what this rivalry is all about. What happens between the lines and how many fullback dives or punts or touchdowns are scored for me. Um, you know, has always been a little bit secondary. Uh, so I'm really excited to, to see the alma mater sung. I still know all the words to the army one, uh, which is a little bit of Stockholm syndrome, I think, but my, my guesstimate is it's going to be ugly. As you said, I think Navy wins 10, seven, I think the defense, which was really embarrassed in SMU. And I don't think that I'm speaking out of turn when I say that when you've given up 50 plus points at halftime you got embarrassed. And I don't think that they like that. And I think that the defense shows up and we win a 10, seven slugfest in Boston and we make history. So uh, hopefully that's what takes place. Um, you will see us in and around Boston again, all day Friday and Saturday. And if you see the sing second crew uh, stop us and say hello, including, um, you know, our alumni association comms team, which will be making the trip. And again, uh, please use your social media channels if you're at the watch party or up at the game. Tag us. Let us know where you are. We're going to have giveaways and all sorts of goodies. Chris, I'm going to give you the last word before we take this out. But for me, another year, another Army week. And although my uh, although my uh, rooster is not here for my Phoenix, and I think I'm Phoenix <laughs> in, in that scenario. <laughs> you know, new Top Gun references here. Wow. Um, I, I know it's going to be fun, but... I don't know those guys. <laughs> yeah, you're my rooster. I'm the phoenix. You okay. Know, no big deal. Can we say like your wolfman, uh, my Hollywood or like, you know. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we Let's make it that. age appropriate. Wolfman and Hollywood are probably in their 60s. Like, uh, at I mean, least. <laughs> shoot, Merlin was Tim Robbins. So he's like, he's probably right. 70 at this point. Right. See, All right. Well, I'll give you the, come for give the, you the last word. Come for the alumni banter. Stay for the obscure hollywood references john this is the best week of the year it doesn't get any better than this week i don't care where you are i don't care if you're deployed uh working your ass off i don't care if you're on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier i don't care if you're at the pentagon i don't care if you're a plebe and life stinks this is the week that you get up for if you have allegiance to army or navy i mean as we're sitting here talking i'm trying to figure out how I could make that tailgate in Boston and still fly home in time to do my watch party. So who knows? I may show up there. That's the kind of week that this is. It's the kind of week where you surprise your spouse the day before you do an up and back to Boston. So, mm. you know, go Navy, beat Army. I hope everybody has a great time. And I hope when we come back next week and talk to Jeff Webb, we're all talking about what we were doing afterwards, celebrating the victory. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Chris previewed it. We'll have Jeff Webb for his exclusive year-end uh, review and um, 2024 preview for those of you wanting to know what's going on at the Alumni Association and Foundation and 
our final alumni business feature of 2023 will also come out next week, and that'll feature Scott Shooter, otherwise known as Shrek of Realty Fame here in Annapolis. If you're looking for a house or looking to sell your house um, as part of a PCS or otherwise, Scott Shooter is your man. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a great pod. This is the last time um, we'll be talking to you before the big game. Hopefully, as we come to you next week, we're talking about the big victory. If you're traveling up there, be safe. And as always, let's sing second. For Chris, I'm John. We're out.